0: Women, Success, China, is powered by the Seneca Network. We are a bi-weekly podcast focused on capturing the narratives of women in and from Greater China at the top of their professional game. I'm your host, Juliana Batista. Many thanks to the entire team at SupChina, including co-producer Kaiser Kuo and Jason McRonald for editing. If you're a loyal listener or just happened upon us today... We love it if you could show your support by hitting subscribe. We wanna share with you some killer episodes that we have lined up for the rest of 2019. But this week, we have Lauren Hallinan, head of marketing at Chatly, the all-in-one suite for WeChat engagement. Lauren actually got her start in live streaming and adeptly grew her audience to over 400,000 viewers. She has deep insight into KOL and KOC marketing in China, and shares the ins and outs of building authentic brands across a variety of platforms. Let's listen into her stories. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ta for Ta today. We have Lauren Hallinan on the show, and she is head of marketing at Chatley. So thank you so much for coming on today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: And so I think it's going to be a lot easier if you just tell listeners a little bit more and give them almost a highlights reel of your career.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll just touch on kind of the main things. I went to China back in 2009 uh, for my study abroad to learn Chinese, like a lot of us, you know, foreigners working in China do. And I went back as soon as I graduated. Um, I worked for a bit. I kept studying Chinese. Um, and then I just... Kept working and kept working. I ended up being in China for over eight years, which was a lot longer than I ever expected to be there. Um, but if you've ever worked in China, you just know how addicting it can be when things are just changing so rapidly and you just get so many opportunities to try things you could, you could never really imagine. Um, so for me, some of those things were that a couple years into my time in China, I, uh, applied on a whim to be on what was then a very popular TV show in China called Fei Chang and it's a, it was a very popular TV like reality show at the time.
0: Um, How'd you I, hear about it in the first place?
1: Um, well, if, I mean, if you were studying Chinese back in, Oh, 09, 10, 11, it was, I mean, it was one of the, it was one of the most popular shows in China at the time. And there was a lot less uh, choices of TV shows to watch. I think nowadays, there's some really great Chinese TV shows um, to practice your Chinese, but pretty much that's what everybody watched back then to practice their Chinese as a, as a foreigner, you know, if you wanted to like just chill out and and watch some chinese tv that was kind of your best bet so i was on the a contestant on the tv show and that kind of changed the whole trajectory of my career um because of the show i started Playing around with Chinese social media, and you know, got involved a little bit in the entertainment industry. And so, I was a TV host for a while. I ended up getting into the PR industry. I worked in PR for several years, and so yeah, as I said, it really changed the trajectory of my of my career. After being in PR for several years, um, doing consumer marketing, getting to do a lot of working with a lot of really cool brands, I knew I was going to start to switch over to figuring out how I was going to make my transition back to the U.S. You know, I I knew that I was kind of wanting to get out of China and move back to the U.S. And I was just so busy with my PR job that I, um, didn't really have time to figure out how I was going to transition back. Um, you know, cause it's a, it's a big deal to try and figure that out. So I was like, I'm going to quit PR and I'll do some freelancing for like a year or so and figure things out. And so I, I quit PR and, and where this is going is that not long after I, I left my job, I heard about this thing called live streaming. I heard about what was going on with um, Periscope and Meerkat back in the US. And I knew that live streaming had been popular in China but it was mostly desktop live streaming. And I heard about, oh, what's this Periscope, this mobile live streaming? I started asking all my Chinese friends like, hey, does um, you know, does China have this too? And they were like, no, I don't think so. And then like a month or two later, they came back to me and they're like, oh, actually there are a bunch of platforms popping up. You should try it out. So I got into live streaming in China right as it was taking off. Um, and I ended up spending that next year in China while I was figuring out my transition back to the US. I was a full-time live streamer um, and made made like my full-time living as a a live streamer on Chinese social media platforms. And And then I transitioned back to the US. I eventually got out of live streaming and back into marketing. And so that's what I'm doing. Now, um, as you mentioned, I'm the head of marketing for Chatly, which is a, a SaaS platform um, that has some really cool software for for WeChat. So focused on WeChat marketing with, with my job right now.
0: So let's get back to the live stream. I think that might be one of the most compelling and just intriguing parts of your career. <laughs> you know, you gave a little bit about how you got started live streaming. I mean, you probably can't tell me what you were making, but... It must have been good enough that it was more salary than a a normal, you know, career. And, you know, how did you grow? Did you kind of have this hockey stick type of growth where suddenly something you put out there went viral or was it something that you accumulated over time? I kind of want to know a little bit more about the growth of your listenership.
1: Yeah, so with live streaming, I think the first bit of it was playing around. I almost I almost discovered live streaming a little too early before even some of the platforms were even offering Monetization options. When I first got into it, it was just like I can grow this following fairly quickly. Like, this is really cool. Um, but I thought, you know, maybe it was going to be monetizing from like working with brands, more typical KOL type collaborations. But then a lot of the platforms started introducing virtual gifting, which you can monetize off of. And so I was on one platform and I got invited to go to another platform. And that's where I was really able. Able to take off because uh, live streaming, live streaming in China is actually a very, very complex world filled with lots of agencies. And so, if you have support of an agency, then you can um, grow a lot faster. You have more resources. Uh, you get featured on the homepage of the platform more often. Things like that. Part of it was that transitioning over to a platform and having an agency backing me. Um, and then another portion of it was consistency. It's absolutely cr- crazy. But with live streaming, if you live stream at the same time, every single day for like the same amount of time, and it needs to be like at least like an hour and a half to two hours, like that's a minimum. Um,
0: Wow. yeah, That's a lot of time.
1: Exactly. And so like at first I was really not willing to like give that commitment to it, but then it's crazy how as soon as you start to do that, your audience just takes off. Like, it's, it's 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 literally just like, a, you know, a, a news show being on every night. Like, everyone knows at 7 o'clock, they get the 7 o'clock news. It's like that kind of thing. Like, people just know that you're going to be there at that time, and then they show up. And then because they show up, it just snowballs, and you get featured more and things like that. So um, it, it was a bit of a hockey stick, but it really took – And it really just took that commitment on my side to just stick with it for like a month or so. And it was like, I feel like I'm wasting my time. What is this? And then all of a sudden it just starts like taking off.
0: (laughs) Is that a pressure that you ended up feeling once you had that significant accumulation of listeners or like of – what do you call people that watch a live stream?
1: I guess viewers. Yeah. viewers. Viewers? Yeah. I would say viewers. Um. Well, I mean, you feel pressure from them to show up because they ask you, like, where were you if you don't show up? You know, they're like, oh, why weren't you on last night? But then at the same time, you also feel pressure because any time that you're not there, they're just going to go watch somebody else. And then if they start watching somebody else at that time, then maybe the next night when you show back up, they'll just keep watching that person at that time and not come see you. So you have that kind of pressure as well. You know, it's not like some other influencers where, you know, you can kind of consume all of their content with live streaming. It's like it's like having two TV shows on at the same time and you're and they're live and you're trying to decide which one to watch. You know, you can only really choose one. So it's it's kind of a different dynamic there.
0: What were you doing on your live stream? Did your content change over time? How'd you think about what you wanted to to put on your live stream? Did you get a lot of feedback? I'm just so curious about all these like dynamics of, of being a live streamer.
1: Honestly, in some senses, I was just, I mean, I was just lucky in some senses. I think I I honestly, I wish so much, I'm, I'm a terrible like singer and I don't dance. If I had some kind of like performance talent, I could have, I could have been, much, much better than I was. But like I am not a performer in any way whatsoever. So that's what my I mean, that's what people would have really loved if I had just like gotten up there and sang a bunch or you know. But I mean, honestly, most of my live streams were was just talking. Honestly, it was just talking. And part of it is talking, but there's also an element of like it's it's interaction. It's really like feeding off of what the audience is talking about and how they're responding to what you're saying and then continuing the conversation from there um, and getting them involved, you know, and kind of trying to make jokes off of things that people are saying or like play a little game or things like that. Honestly, after a long time, one of the reasons I got out of it is because it gets really boring from the live streamers end. I don't think it's something that Mm. I could do for forever. Like I said, you know, maybe if I was a singer, It would be awesome.
0: Now, you didn't leave, though, when you got banned. I think it was from only one of the various live streaming platforms, Momo, right? Yeah. Why did that happen? What's been some of those more like policy dynamics, I guess, around live streaming and how did that implicate you?
1: I mean, I was really concerned for a while because, I mean, it was funny. You were seeing there was a lot of rules about like, you know, foreigners can't live stream and all this stuff. But like, it was funny because that was the official rule, but all of the agencies and platforms looked the other way as long as you found, as long as you used somebody's ID to sign up, like they never really looked at like, Oh, you're not the person who's on the ID. Like, mm-hmm. so really any foreigners can actually live stream. Um it's pretty it's pretty easy or at least it was. But and and that's not the reason that I got banned. Um actually, I was on on Momo. I had like almost 300,000 followers. You know, I was on the front page all the time, but then you know, but I was feeling like my growth was stagnating. And I was also getting a little bit bored with the platform. Like, you can't really do any like kind of sponsorships with brands or anything like that. And I just didn't really see it going anywhere long term. So I was exploring like some other options, platforms that would be more conducive to becoming more of a a KOL, becoming more of an influencer instead of just a live streamer, you know, being able to talk about more things, being able to do some like, video, um, being able to work with brands, things like that. And of course, like the agencies and the people at the platforms, they all check out all of each other's platforms. And so they started to notice that I was streaming on other platforms. And even though they didn't give me any kind of exclusivity contract, they said that if I kept streaming on other platforms, that they were just going to ban me from from their platform.
0: Did it work out for you? Did it work out all right?
1: Yeah. I mean, so I got on some other platforms. Platforms and I was, I was still making a decent amount on other platforms. I think it happened almost about the time that I was moving back to the US, not long before I moved back. And after I moved back to the US, I just kind of slowly transitioned out of the live streaming anyway, just because I found it pretty... I don't know, difficult to to keep up with. Um, it like sometimes the signals weren't that great. So I kind of slowly transitioned out of it. So <laughs> I guess it was good timing anyway.
0: So you basically created this framework of the different types of live streamers in China. And I think I would put you under the entertainment, even though you said yeah. you don't No, I would definitely be talent. Yeah. And so why don't you tell us a little bit more about this framework of entertainment, educational e-commerce and why you think that's all encompassing and kind of how each of those different segments of live streamers have come into being in China?
1: Yeah, I mean, so when, when live streaming started to take off particularly mobile live streaming because desktop live streaming has been used for a long time in China, but mobile live streaming is when it really started to take off. And so you you really started to see it be picked up by three different industries. And so that's kind of how I categorized it was, yeah, what I was doing was, is what I would call entertainment live streaming, which is, you know, Again there was a lot of dancing, singing, there's a lot of comedy, there's just people talking. It's it's something that's just entertaining people and usually the the monetization for that is virtual gifting. Um, there's usually a lot of like games being played and competitions, things like that. The other industry that really grabbed onto live streaming was the education industry. So you can find a ton of the, you know, for example, English learning platforms later on Jirhu, which is, um, kind of like the... Quora of China. A lot of these type platforms adopted live streaming as a way to um, give online classes, and this was instead of virtual gifting. You know, it's just like taking an online course here in the U.S. You know, like that's super popular. There's a lot of platforms to do it. You pay a fee, you get access to the online course, and so it's pretty much the same thing, except for it would be a live course. So that that really took off um, within the education industry, and then the other industry which was a little bit slower to take off, but now is where really, really the the opportunity for live streaming is and where we're seeing live streaming just absolutely blow up is e-commerce. In, I think, 2016, Taobao started to add e-commerce and then some other platforms, um, Mogu, Mogujiya is another one. And JD has some live streaming as well. It's um, a little bit more controlled. But, you know, a lot of these e-commerce platforms started to introduce live streaming as a way to sell products. And as I said, that took a little bit longer to really take off. But in late 2018 and then this year in 2019, you know, e-commerce live streaming on Taobao has become absolutely huge and that's like that's the real live streaming trend these days
0: how do you see live streaming being used effectively by brands in retail channels to sell how do you actually convert through a live stream like what is that tipping point how are brands or live streamers thinking about selling product through what they do is it just you know you think you see the classic call of you know i went to the store and here's everything i got let me show it on Are there other sorts of techniques that people use in China um, to sell through live streaming?
1: In some ways, it's very similar to QVC, the Home Shopping Network. Um, You know, it's, it's typically very clear that they're working with the brand and trying to sell the product. You know, so a lot of the content is they're introducing the product. They're talking, showing you how it works. They're showing, for example, if it's a piece of clothing, like, different outfits that you can wear, how to match it, um, showing you what it's made of, all all the details of the product, right, and educating you. The biggest difference about live streaming versus something like like live streaming compared to QVC or like the Home Shopping Network is that it's much more interactive. It's very interactive. Uh, They're constantly taking questions from the audience um, about the products um, and really I think that this is where people become more more likely to buy because if you've ever watched like QVC or Home Shopping Network, it's just so scripted, like so, so scripted. Whereas with live streaming, you know, they'll take questions from the audience. They're taking questions from the audience all the time. And you realize that this live streamer actually really knows about the product. Like a good live streamer, um, Mm. they are – actual users of the product, they understand the product, like they really know what they're talking about. And it's not all scripted, you know. Um, And so besides the interaction, they also with e-commerce live streaming, they do an amazing job of um, the scarcity mindset. You can get a much lower price buying it during the live stream period. You can get special coupons during the live stream. They give away a lot of products to viewers of the live stream so that, for example, they'll give away a big product right at the beginning of the stream. So if you're one of the first people to show up, you have more of a chance to win that. And then they'll give another big one like later on, but you don't know when it's going to come, you know? And these are like good giveaways, like really big giveaways. And like, they really know their stuff when it comes to the product and you just, you trust them so much. Also e-commerce live streaming, has done so well in China because word of mouth marketing is just part of Chinese society is just that, you know, people really trust people, you know, especially the further you go into the lower tier cities and countrysides, you know, people really trust what their friends and family are recommending to them. Uh, and, and so, the, the live streamer becomes almost an extension of their friends and family, meaning that if they recommend something, they're they're much more likely to buy it than if they see an advertisement for it or something like that. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret?
0: I'm curious, do you still follow any live streamers? Is there anyone that's still live streaming from when you started that you look up to? You think they are really effective at what they do?
1: I still go sometimes on more of like the entertainment live streaming channels. Um, and it's it's funny, there are still, I mean, some of the huge people on, on Momo are still going strong. Like they're still still on there. I don't know how they do it wow. in and out every day for that many years. I, I definitely have been spending a lot more time watching e-commerce live streaming these days. And, you know, there are two that are kind of the really the two top streamers on, on Taobao. Um, one's called Via and another one is Austin um, or Lee Jiachi. Um And uh, I, I could just watch them for, for a while, a long time. They're, they're really funny and interesting to, to watch. Um so, I mean e-commerce live streaming. I have to check him out. Yeah, it's it's I mean, well, I'm sh- you've probably heard of uh, Austin. He is um he's super popular in China right now. He's um actually known because he's the first kind of Taobao live streamer to also make a name for himself outside of Taobao live streaming. So, a lot of live streamers are pretty Insular, like they don't, they might be huge on the live streaming platform, but they don't maybe have a following on other platforms, um, particularly with e-commerce live streaming. Um, Like Via is is the top live streamer on Taobao. She can sell insane amounts of stuff, but she doesn't really have a following. On any other platforms, whereas he is very popular on Douyin, he's very popular on Xiaohongshu, um, and he's kind of become a poster boy for for Taobao in the sense that like they can create a Taobao
0: influencer. <laughs> yeah, and actually, now that you bring up uh, Douyin and Xiaohongshu, how do you think the rules have kind of changed? You started with Weibo, WeChat, Momo, iQiyi how has the rules of the game almost changed with some of these new platforms or has it not as you said austin has been successful across a variety of channels um so maybe it's just instinct and intuition is really what makes people successful
1: there are more a lot more options these days obviously um you know in the past it was like Weibo, WeChat, these are pretty much your two options. I mean, there have always been kind of these other smaller side platforms as well. But I think that Douyin and Xiaohongshu have definitely earned their place, you know, among the top Chinese social media platforms, maybe more so than some of the other platforms in the past had. So I definitely think that there's if anything it's you know more confusing for brands than ever because they're like okay well which platform do we should we be on you know and I do think that each of the platforms really has their own characteristics and their own use cases and Specific maybe industries that do better on each of the platforms. So I think if anything, the rise of Douyin and Xiaohongshu has just made the industry more complex (laughs) than it was before.
0: And so you basically took this career in live streaming and you catapulted it, from my understanding, into writing your book, Mm -hmm. working with bloggers, influencers, and KOLs. Can you tell us a little bit more about? What prompted you to write the book and then just a little bit more of the premise of, of what's in it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, as I said, before I got into live streaming, I had been working in like PR and social media for a while. So, um, you know, I had had some work with KOLs influ- or influencers, either one you want to KOLs, just the Chinese, the, the Asian way, key opinion leader. It's the same thing as influencer pretty much. Um, but, um,
0: I was going to have you bust that bust <laughs> that, or break that down for me because yeah. it's such different terminology, but in my mind, I always thought it meant the same
1: thing. It's It's pretty much the same thing. So I think that I actually like KOL better than influencer um, because I think to me, KOL has a bit more of an element of a thought leader in it. You know, it's a key opinion leader. So to be a KOL, you really need to have an opinion, a viewpoint on something, you need to be, you know, educating or to stand for something. Um, so I, I do kind of like the the word KOL a bit better, and it has a bit more of that connotation to me, anyway. But I mean, I think it's loosely used as as the same the same thing. You know, in China, they refer to them as KOLs, really not not influencers, right? But when I was live streaming, you know, I was also pretty active on some other social media channels as well, trying to build those up. And just I'm, I've always been one of those people that I, I really like to play around with all the Chinese the social media channels, because I, I feel like, you know, if I'm working with a brand on marketing to the Chinese audience, if I've used the platform, then I always have a, a better understanding of it than if I just am if I use the platform in the sense, like if I try and build an audience on there, I understand the platform a lot better than if I'm just like a user reading other people's content. So that's something that I've just always done for for years. But yeah, so after I was, you know, I was doing live streaming, I was growing my audience on these other platforms. When I transitioned back to the US, I started doing a lot of writing about Chinese social media marketing, influencer marketing, things like that. And so my wonderful co-author, Ashley Dudar, She reached out to me asking if I would want to co-author a book with her on the topic of influencers, since that's something that I wrote about a lot and had experience with. I, I knew a lot of influencers. Um, so I had heard a lot about their experiences, you know, and worked with brands as well. So yeah, I, I just jumped on the opportunity, which, uh, you know, I, I didn't think I would get a chance to write a book. So that was pretty, pretty amazing to have, have that opportunity and to be able to put all my knowledge about Chinese influencers into a book is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's get some case examples out out There, you know, what are some best in class KOL or KOC collaborations? I think you've been writing recently about it, like Stuart Weitzman and other examples. What makes them best in class?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a that's a big can of worms right there. <laughs> um, so yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, my favorite case studies when it comes to influencer marketing are when brands. Or you know sometimes the agency working for the brand, but the you know when the brand side actually takes time to think about the campaign that they want to run and about the goals and about who would be the right person for that, and then they actually come up with a campaign that's really aligned with the influencer and and who they are. I, I love these types of campaigns um, because I think. All too often, I just see, you know, oh, let's throw some money at some influencers and have them work their magic, you know, and there's just not a lot of thought being put into it. For example, one campaign that I that went happened, I believe last spring, um, was with Suku, the uh, luxury, it's kind of an e commerce platform. Kind of a club, le mm-hmm. Um I, I don't really know how to describe it, but it's kind of
0: like a hybrid. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, they they collaborated with um Becky Lee, who, I mean, she, her, she in general, um, you know, she's she's one of the biggest fashion bloggers in China. She's extremely popular, um, and I think that in general, it just her case studies are. Amazing. And sometimes maybe some people might feel that they're almost a bit overused, but it's just because she does, she does such great work and brands, because they trust her, they let her do such great work. So, um, I guess that's why she is used as a, as a case study pretty often. She collaborated with Suku and they did this pop-up campaign with her where they built this pop-up uh, space that was designed like her apartment. And then they went in and because Soku, you know, is a, is a, is a retailer, they, they sell products from a variety of different luxury brands. And so a lot of the products that she actually owns, you know, she went through and curated a selection of, of products and they had them all, for example, hanging in her closets and on the shelves. And, and so then they invited you know fans users of the platform to come and the way that they they did it they made it very personal like becky's inviting you to come to her home and hang out and go Mm. through her closet you know you guys can go through her closet together and you know she's she's a fashion blogger and people love her style and she talks a lot about um she also has another channel that's specific to home design and things like that so um you know it was very personal Feeling And she was there for, um, you know, for the initial launch of it as well. So you could really almost feel like you're going to Becky's home and hanging out with her. And they actually they the on the in- initial launch night, I believe they actually had like, you know, you could um, they had like a little kind of competition where people could select some items and like try to put together an outfit. And then like Becky was judging the outfits and things. So, oh. I mean, it's it, it just it was really personal.
0: You also talk about how KOL marketing, it's always better to have an always on strategy rather than these one-off campaigns, maybe around holidays or just during specific points in time. Why is it really important to cultivate KOL relationships over the long run?
1: Yeah. I mean, so I think that that's a mistake that a lot of brands make as they they do a lot of one-off campaigns for specific product launches or for example, you know, 1111 is is coming up soon and you know, brands will do a ton of KOL marketing around this time of year. And, and, and then it kind of drops off. And the thing is, is, I mean, we all know that these days there's just so much information coming at us all the time. And if you stop for a second, you know, if, if nobody's talking about your products, then somebody else is going to come in and take over that spot. And so it's really, it's just, it's like, you know, Brands have Google ads, right? And they, I'm pretty positive that most brands will continue running Google ads on a consistent basis. You're not Mm -hmm. just going to like stop running your ads. You know, you might ramp them up during certain times of the year, but you're going to probably have them running all the time because you always want going to your website, right? You're always trying to drive traffic. And so it's the same thing with KOLs. Like the moment that you stop, all the traffic from that source is going to dry up. And there's so much content coming out on a daily basis. Like your content's not going to last that long. Um, People are going to forget it like the next day. So you really need to be always putting content out and always working with new KOLs so that there's always something new coming out about your brand. Otherwise, people are just going to forget
0: Yeah. And that actually kind of leads to another question I had been thinking on is, you know, how do brands refine and measure the way that they define success because you think about it there's so many kols out there they might be doing a good job i mean is it actually driving purchases is it driving better brand perception is it like what should brands be thinking about is it you know tracking the rate and speed in we check groups is it looking at retention rates is it looking at the quality of discussions that they're bringing up, what, what should brands be thinking about as they they want to measure what the KOLs and KOCs are doing for them?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think that this changes a little bit with each platform, but I think um, it, it also depends for a brand kind of where they are in their China entry life cycle so I think if a brand is very new to China and there's very low awareness of the brand then their KPIs and metrics are going to be uh, a lot more related to to building the brand um and I I I don't think that they should be as focused on conversions to to sales right away you know it's really building that audience so I think that, um, you know, in that case, you would look a lot more at um, reach and how many people are seeing it. Also, the engagement, you know, how many people are engaging and quality engagement, right? Like how many people are engaging with the content and actually talking about the products. I think that another really good measure of success is user-generated content, related to to your products you know if you see the, if you're seeing more and more users who are just Average everyday internet users talking about your product or showing pictures that they've bought your product—that that's also a really good measure of of success. Um, because you know, for example, on Xiaohongshu, that's what the platform's all about. You know, there's a ton of regular everyday people who are sharing products that they buy. Um, you know, there's a lot of KOLs as well, but you you also want to see more and more regular people talking about it as a result of the KOL marketing.
0: Yeah, like continue to grow that exactly. organic, earned media. Exactly, almost. exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, obviously, if, if your, your brand is more well-established um, and once people trust you and know you, then yeah, you do want to be looking for, for conversion. And that's why I think live streaming has also taken off is because it's very easy to see the conversion rate um, with live streaming. You know, people uh, right. people are m- making purchases immediately. It's very clear how much people are buying. Um, it's very easy to track because they're buying it right in the live stream. Um, it can be a little bit difficult sometimes, um, depending on the Chinese social media channel, to track direct sales from a KOL but um I know that Parklu which is one of the the you know leading influencer marketing platforms in China um I've I've worked with them a lot and and they've actually done some research that you know you can see if a brand does KOL campaigns um you can see a direct Correlation with sales on e-commerce platforms, um, even though it's hard to actually match like the one KOL to the sale um, with, for example, a link or something like that. But uh, you can actually map it and see a direct correlation in an uptick in sales. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's uh, a lot of the time it's delayed. It's not going to be right exactly the same campaign period. But you'll see, for example, an uptick in people. Talking about the products and KOLs talking about the products and and content going out about the product, you'll see the same that same trajectory, but maybe it'll be delayed like a month or two, sometimes even three months later, um, because you know people in if you know anything about Chinese consumers, it's that they love to. Do a lot of research, especially with higher ticket higher ticket items. So the the conversion can be a bit slower for them. They might see a KOL talking about a product and then do a lot more research on it, and then actually decide to buy it. You know, a month or two later.
0: So it's sometimes more difficult to. track. Oh yeah, yeah. it's.
1: I mean, that's that's one thing about you know um, a lot of the Chinese platforms make it quite difficult to to track the the sales direct and de- directly attribute the the sales to the KOL.
0: And What's the reason for that?
1: Um, I well, I mean, part of it is just that the platforms, you know, there's kind of the divide, for example, between you know We the WeChat Tencent <laughs> platforms uh, working with JD, whereas you know Taobao works with Weibo, um, works with with Xiaohongshu some, but Xiaohongshu also has their own e-commerce platform. Um, so it's it's kind of that that Chinese. It's really yeah, a fractured exactly. market, and, yeah, you know, and and there's um, it's very difficult in on most of the platforms to include links, uh, e-commerce links in your content. That's it's pretty difficult. Most platforms don't allow it.
0: So basically, only targeted streams that benefit the the
1: p- the platform,
0: the the provider, yeah, the platform. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, digging into this is all. Fascinating, and I'm just I'm wondering if all your experience in the industry, from contestant to TV show host to live streamer, have you found that now in your work with Chatley that having that tangible experience in the industry has been really useful for you in your career?
1: I just think it's such a complex industry that um, you, you need to have that perspective really in order to be able to um, explain. The ecosystem to to other people and to be able to kind of grasp the trends of, of what might happen next and things like that. You, I think, it's it's definitely benefited me a lot.
0: You know, has there been any advice along the way that has either saved you or surprised you or provided new perspective on the work that you were doing?
1: I can think of, um, I guess kind of two that have benefited me a lot. One is just to to niche down. Um, you know, there's a lot of people talking about Chinese social media marketing, uh, China digital marketing, and something that I've always done in my career, although maybe the topics have Changed over the course of time, but for a period of time, you know, I always, I tend to niche down on one specific topic. Um, And become as much as I can, you know, a a core resource in the industry for that topic. Um, And I've always found that that's been extremely beneficial if you try and, you know, be everything to everyone and, and know about every platform, Um, you know, and I, I, I do have general knowledge on a lot of the platforms, but I don't tell people that I can you know, teach them everything. I, I, I always, you know, s- will let people know like, this is my specific India uh, area of expertise and I'll, you know, I'll stick within that. Right, yeah. Clear guardrails. Um, and then I think something else that's been beneficial <laughs> just for me um, because especially when I was back in China um, and you know, you're, you spend a lot of time with people that are in the same industry as you. Um, so you don't maybe realize that the knowledge that you have is, um, unique. Um, And then I I think that you're afraid to say that you are any sort of, you know, expert. Um, I think people are always very nervous about that word. Um, And I think that, I think I heard it maybe on a podcast, but somebody was saying, you know, if you know more than the other people in the room about a topic, then to them, you're the expert on that topic. And that kind of allowed me to start to (laughs) say, hey, actually, most people in the world don't know what I know about like the Chinese live streaming industry. Like it's okay. You know, you, yeah, you are an expert on the topic. Sure. You know? I think that that was something that I, uh, you know, definitely helped in, in my career is being able to own like, yeah, you actually do know a lot about topics that most people don't know about. So that was, that was definitely some good advice. That's
0: actually really great advice and so applicable across Many different industries. I mean, that's not a a piece of advice very specific to live streaming. So, Lauren, I mean, I feel like you've given us so much advice and also these really nice little nuggets, I think, of information about how the live streaming, KOL, influencer, blogging industries work in China that unless you're really immersed in it, you don't get those little nuggets of knowledge. So, Thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for those nuggets of information. Um, It's really been a pleasure speaking with you.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: Liking what you hear? Hit subscribe and show us some love. We're also getting more active on Twitter by providing some cool supporting content that elevates what you already hear here. Our Twitter handle is at ta, for ta and of course, we'll still regularly check our email ta.for.ta.china at gmail.com. Ta for ta, Success, China, is a proud member of the Seneca Network. Many thanks again to Kaiser Quo for co-producing and Jason McRonald for editing. And until next time, I'm Juliana Batista, and this is Ta for Ta.